Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can come before you this day and hear the mighty acts of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on our behalf. And yet, Lord, we confess to you that too often we approach you out of duty and obligation rather than out of a genuine love and affection for your presence. Forgive us for uttering songs of praise to you without being transformed by the truths that we're singing. Forgive us for muttering prayers of adoration to you without depending upon your love and grace. Forgive us for acting as though you are pleased with our show, pretense, and religious activities when we do not even love our neighbors where we live, work, or play. You take no pleasure in these worthless offerings, and they are abomination to you according to your word. And you'll hide your eyes from us, and you will not listen. So, Lord, we confess that we seek comfort and isolation rather than moving toward people like you have moved toward us. And now, Lord, we humbly ask that you would teach us what it means to be your followers today and that we would love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with you and one another for your glory and your world. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's quite exciting that we've been in Luke's biography now for four and a half months, and you start to see a pattern today in all the lectionary readings, all right? In Advent, we saw in an urgent manner, the king is coming. In Christmas, he's here. In Epiphany, if you don't believe me now, look at this. He's really revealed. And all throughout Lent, we've seen these incredible passages that call for us to repent and believe, right? And today we arrive at the crucifixion story and that we've just celebrated the triumphal entry and literally five days later, he's on a cross. They hailed him as king five days earlier, but it doesn't stay that way, does it? And what Luke is saying in the crucifixion account, I've given you all this information. There's a lot of information here, right? Especially when you read it in the Greek. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I know enough Greek just to be dangerous. Trust me. But there's a lot of great material here that we've discovered these past four and a half months, right? And what Luke is saying is, I've given you all this information. How will you respond to it? When Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What he's saying is, Father, they're looking right at me and they don't get it. They're looking at the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world and they don't get it. It's interesting how in verse 35 it says the people stood watching kind of like a hound dog staring at his dinner before I give it to him. Nothing there, really. Here's what Luke is asking. Do you get it? Luke is saying, you have all the information, but is it real to you? Has it ever really affected your daily living at all? Because right here, everything you need to respond to life-transforming, to Jesus in a life-transforming way is right here before us. And what we learn, I think, most appropriately from Luke is, first, those who get it are seemingly the least likely kind of people. He explains the process by which we get it. 
And three, we learn how we get it. All right, so I encourage you to open back up to your narrative right there in the bulletin or in your Bible where you can read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest throughout this week. Because that's what we're going to discover, rediscover. Those who get it are seemingly the least likely kind of people. Two, what's the process by which we get it? And three, how we get it. So let's look at this. Number one, how, the least likely kind of people. Well, we see this in verse 40 with the criminal, right? Verse 40, he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it's to this guy, Jesus says, truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. What you need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that thievery or theft, simple theft, was not a capital offense. This guy probably, while committing a a theft, probably murdered somebody along the way. That was a capital offense. So the guy on Jesus' right and on Jesus' left are really awful people. You would not have wanted this guy, you wouldn't have hung around with him. You would have wanted him to date your daughter. You wanted him in any near, anywhere near you at all. But yet, Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's amazing. And the types of characters who are least likely to get it are, yeah, this murderer on the cross with Jesus, but there's also more. Verse 47, he's the moral outsider, but look at, look at verse 47. You have the centurion comes along and says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. <laughs> there are six times in Luke's gospel that he says, they use this phrase, somebody praise God. And it's always when somebody perceives the saving power of God. This is a Roman centurion, a Gentile. All right? He doesn't look up at Jesus being crucified and say, oh, isn't this a shame, this poor Jewish boy? No. He says, praise God. Certainly this man is innocent. And that's Luke's way of saying He's beginning to get it, all right? And he's a moral outsider and a racial outsider, by the way, all right? You also have the least likely people in the women in verses 55 and 56. They are social outsiders. All throughout Luke in particular, the women disciples are always the most faithful. They're marginalized. They're socially on the outside, and yet, here at the cross, they're the only ones left. Is Luke saying women are better than men? No. If that's the point, you're missing the point. If that's what you're thinking, that's what you're, miss- you're missing the point. But who is the last group who responds bravely in faith to Jesus? I think it's very surprising. The last one, I think, in many ways, is the most surprising of all. Over and over again, the people who come to Jesus like the women, or the lepers, the fallen women, the Samaritans, the tax collectors. Six times in Luke, the tax collectors are mentioned, and every time they're mentioned positively. Uh, April 15th is tomorrow. The IRS is not positive. You know that. But every time, 
It's positive. Every time the women are mentioned, it's positive. Every time you have an insider and an outsider, a person who the world calls a failure, Jesus says, you're with me. So you get to the end of this chapter and you start to say, well, I'm starting to figure it out. Jesus comes for the excluded. And he rejects the included of the world. You know, he rejects the respectable, the powerful. The, he likes the people who yell, let's stick it to the man. Right? Well, he throws us a curveball. Look at verse 50. Now, there was a man named Joseph from a Jewish town named Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Suddenly you begin to realize, I don't get it. <laughs> you have insiders, you have outsiders. Does Jesus not have any principles here? Come on. What is it? What it is, ladies and gentlemen, is that those who are in, whether you're rich or you're poor, you're black, you're white, no matter where you're from and your background, it's all by the sheer grace of Jesus Christ, whom the criminal, who we're going to focus on from here on, all he does, he humbly looks at him and says, Jesus, remember me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, that's about the first point that I think Luke wants to bring to us, that the least likely are those who actually get in the kingdom of God. Secondly, we see the process by which you get into the kingdom of God. Jesus, remember me, verse 42, when you come into your kingdom, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, you got these two criminals. The, the, the first one is completely helpless and hopeless. And what does he say? He rails at Jesus. Okay? And yet, he says, do something for me. And then I'll believe in you. But this other guy says, what are you doing in 21st century English? What has happened to us is just. He's innocent. And then he says, Jesus, remember me. What he's doing here is he's turning with a humble, bowed heart to the king of kings that he's now beginning to get. He is staring death in the face, literally. Because you imagine at this point in the narrative, you're less than an hour away. You're at eternity's door. One person's railing and one person's being humble, depending upon the sheer grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. For ladies and gentlemen, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's that wonderful Reformation recovering standard that all our reformer friends rediscovered, just discovering what the early church already knew, that justified by faith through Christ alone. You know, there's nothing we can add. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, says Isaiah. That's the great standard doctrine of justification and then from our justification we're sanctified that's the process by which we grow in christ and become more like christ in our in our lives 
And then finally, when we do die, we're glorified. The doctrine of glorification. When we're standing for his presence, perfect. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. But isn't it interesting? There's no sanctification for this thief. He doesn't have a chance. He's about to die, and he jumps from justification to glorification. Praise God. It's all of Jesus, not on us. That's good news, right? And that's exactly what Luke is trying to portray for us, my friends. That it's all on Jesus, it's not on us. Now he's not saying here, trust in Jesus and go live however you want. You know what Paul says about that, right? May I sin that grace may abound? By no means. Right? Romans chapter 6. No, he wants to make sure that we understand just by this example of turning to Jesus in humility. Nothing I have. I'm dying here. And remember, none of us will get out of this life alive. And that's the point of this whole week. That we can look to the cross and his great love for us and he secured it for each and every one of us in Jesus Christ by trusting in his work alone upon the cross. Well, what does that mean? We're saved by grace through faith alone. What does that mean? Well, that's the next point, isn't it? How do we get it? Well, it's interesting. You see in verse 39, the criminal who didn't get it one of the criminals were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You've heard the crowd yell that. If he's, if he's God, let him come down. Right? Here's what this means in 21st century language. Okay, it's 2019, right? What he's saying here is very simple. Jesus, reward me, then I'll live for you. Get me out of this situation, and then I'll do whatever you ask me to. All right? God, prove to me who you are, who you say you are, and then I will blank, live for you. Well, my friends, whatever it is that you're saying God to rescue out of, Lord, make, bring me the woman of my dreams. Bring me the man of my dreams. Give me the perfect job that I can earn, you know, $500,000 whatever it might be, give me the car, give me whatever that blank is, that's your God. That's what you're worshiping. You can't make a deal with this God. This God will not be dealt with on those terms. And the second thief does the exact opposite, and it's absolutely ridiculous. He's nailed to a cross, and he says, give me a reward, you know, I have nothing. Give me a reward. Reward me. I have nothing to offer you. And Jesus says, truly I say to you. You know what that word truly I say to you is in the Greek? Amen. Jesus is beaten and bloodied beyond comprehension they don't even recognize him upon the cross and he looks at this guy and joyfully says amen you will be with me today in paradise with me and that's the crucial point when you truly place your trust in christ christ is with you not only in the future but he's with you now okay it's in the present jesus is saying to him 
I'm going to do better than you just being with me today, my friend. Could you imagine the angels? I just, in my sick kind of Virginia humor, I, you know, <laughs> the angels are sitting there, and Jesus comes up into eternity, and they go, Lord, welcome home. It's so glad to see you. Who are you? We know who you are. And Jesus says, he's with me. He's with me. As a matter of fact, I'll do better than that. Today you're with me. And of course, from one standpoint, he'll be with us and his presence is awesome. And it's, it's certainly all that. But there's much more to that presence than I think a simple English with me can convey. Not only is, is we in the presence of sheer grace and truth, but Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 6 that Jesus has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Other translations say he, they've, he's hidden us with him. And what that means, my friends, is the minute you really believe in Jesus Christ, everything he has done will be true of you in God's eyes. You are as free from the penalty of sin as if you had already died and as if you had paid the whole penalty. But you didn't have to. Jesus paid it for you. So the minute you trust in Jesus Christ, everything that's true of Jesus is true of you. And not only that, you are raised with him and seated with him. You are hidden in him, in Jesus Christ. You are as beautiful. You are as attractive. You are as delightful in the Father's sight as Jesus is. Jesus has the audacity to say in John 17, as he's praying for the church, present and future, he says, Father, love them even as you love me. Even as... We are loved in Christ even as Jesus is loved by the Father. Please listen. It's not as a little like Jesus. It's not as a dim reflection of Jesus. It's even as Jesus. Those are God's words in Jesus Christ about you. And Jesus says, I'll do more than just remember you. At this moment, because you believe in me, you're with me forever. And you're like me forever. And it's going to get better than that when the new heaven and the new earth comes. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Because a lot of people say they believe in Jesus, right? You've heard me use those words, have faith in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Well, Luke says this in chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would follow me, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross. What that means is a new self comes into your being when you fully place your trust in Jesus Christ. And the old self must die. You look at that old self and you say, no, nope, you're dead to me. There is a denied self that must be crucified and reckoned dead in each and every one of our lives if we would truly believe. Jesus says, forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What, what, what if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? You know, me and Rob are starting golf in a couple weeks. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. I got down at the end of the season to be a bogey golfer. I really enjoy this game. 
I'm really, it's my reprieve away from the hustle and bustle of the week. It's good for my sanity. And, uh, you know, what if I should die on the course this summer on a beautiful summer day? And I'm going to go up to the Lord and say, Lord, here's my scorecard. I'm a bogey golfer. <laughs> That's what people are doing. That's exactly what people are doing. They're saying, look how successful I was, Lord. Look how my kids are great. They got 1,500 in the SATs. That's all because of me. They did that. No. My friends, we have to, we're a new person in Jesus Christ. And it's a new birth. You wouldn't have even have come there unless he had done that for you. And because he's done that for you, you receive him as your Savior and Lord. And you say to your old self, you're dead to me. And then you follow Jesus together using the disciplines of grace which we talk about. Being in the word, prayer, carving out this time on the Lord's day, worshiping him, loving one another, loving our neighbors, going out and using the passions that you've been wired with for his glory. That's living. And you can play some golf along the way or whatever hobby you have. But if I don't, I'm not going to die over it. It's okay. Everything. I need nothing more than Jesus Christ. Have you responded to Jesus Christ in this way? I said in the very beginning, Luke is trying to say, I've got a lot of information. Do you get it? Is it something that's really affecting you? And I'm sure there are some here thinking, well, I understand this. I've heard this before. Um, this idea that I believe in Jesus Christ, I know that. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't understand it if that's what you're saying to yourself. Paul, over and over in Colossians 3, says, look at your pride. Look at your gossip. Look at your hurt feelings. Look at all the backbiting you're involved with. Look at all your unhappiness. Look at all the things that are wrong with you. Set your mind on things above where Christ, who is your life, is. Set your mind on your life, which is hidden in Christ. See, what Paul is saying is, and it's a great Palm Sunday thought, if you know how loved you are, if you know how, if you really knew this, if it really affected you, if it really melted your heart, if it really controlled your life, how much God truly does love you, you wouldn't get upset about all the criticism. You wouldn't always feel hurt. You wouldn't need approval. You wouldn't need power. You wouldn't need uh, control. And you'd have more joy, peace, grace, and poise to live this life we've all been called to live. And so therefore, my friends, all our problems come because deep down, we don't get it. Let's get it. Let's turn to Jesus Christ. I invite you to look at all that Jesus has done for you. On the cross, as he cries, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not as a role model, 
not as some divine helper you to give you a jolt for life. No. But as a Savior who loves you. In closing, C.S. Lewis said, the worst, weakest believer in heaven. We will look at that person who kept forgetting, kept forgetting scripture. Didn't, didn't, tried to share their faith and bungled. You know, forgot to show up at the food pantry. That type of person, when they're in heaven and they've placed their trust in Jesus alone, truly, we would be tempted to bow down and worship them with how glorious they will be because they will be like Jesus. That's who you are. If you will say, Father, I finally get it. Though I deserve to be cast out, Lord, I pray that you will please take me in because Jesus took my darkness and because when I believe I can put on Jesus. Accept me not because of what I have done, but because what have you have done? Got it? Let's pray it. Father, we finally get it. Though we deserve to be cast out, we ask that you would take us in because Jesus took our darkness. And because when we believe, we can be put into Jesus Christ. I pray for those who have done so that this would be a word of great encouragement. And for those who think they understand and now have their eyes have been opened, I pray, Lord, that they truly would pray that you would accept them, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And we pray you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us as we celebrate your great love throughout this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.